Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10, that's podcast10, to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Now, to the top analysis of today's crypto markets. What's up, guys? It's Ash Bennington. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Today, joining me is Sean Douglas, CEO of Amber Data. Sean, welcome. Hi, thank you, Ash. Great to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, Sean. Tell us a little bit about your shop and what you do. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, Amber Data, we're the leading provider of digital assets data, really focus on delivering comprehensive data and insights into blockchain networks, crypto markets, decentralized finance or DeFi, and are really focused on enabling financial institutions with their data for research, trading, risk, analytics, reporting, compliance. We've, we enable them to build data-powered applications and act and seize opportunity in the growing crypto space. I was just telling some of the folks at Real Vision how much I enjoy having conversations with folks who provide data because you guys get a comprehensive view uh, of what's happening in the space and you're able to see things that others are not. So with that said, Sean, where are we right now? Big picture, what's going on? Obviously, uh, lots going on right now in the DeFi space with Curve Finance Hack, but big picture, where are we in terms of the data you see? Yeah, so I mean, there's obviously some uh, global macro uh, headwinds going on today. Specifically, I don't know what's going on in the market, but it seems like there's there's a lot of activity. Um, we really focused on helping institutionalized institutions um, kind of understand what's going on on chain, what's going on in markets, uh, quantify the opportunities and the risk. And where institutions are looking at today are um, there's a lot of activity offshore still focused heavily on DeFi. And then, you know, we also see a tremendous amount of, of institutional participation in arbitrage, whether that be across centralized, exchange, centralized exchanges and decentralized exchanges or across derivatives and spot, uh, you name it. I would say 50 plus percent of the institutional activity is really focused around uh, eking out uh, arbitrage opportunities. So what are the major themes that you're seeing in these markets? Um, I think there's some major shifts going on. I think that uh, we still continue to see a lot of institutional interest in uh, the you know kind of forward curve. If you fast forward a few years from where we're at today, um, what's happening with DeFi? We're seeing a lot of movement into derivatives and in, in uh, specifically in options. And if you look at, for example, CME, uh, which is not what you would really consider crypto, but uh, they they have. You know, with, since, since FTX has gone away, um, the, the, the amount of uh, 
trading activity that we're seeing in CME options has 3x over last year, where spot trading is down roughly 50% last year, um, year over year um, in the spot markets. Uh, so really, just like you see in traditional financial markets, where derivatives rule the world, we're seeing right. that movement into uh, derivatives much more so. I mean, that's that's quite interesting with the decline in spot trading to see a 3x increase uh, in derivative trading on CME alone. Yeah. What, what does that um, suggest? I, Go ahead. Yeah, so uh, what that suggests, I think, is we're seeing a couple things. Uh, one is, um, you know, CME is, has uh, been a, a venue for trading you know, futures and, and derivatives and and uh, for U.S. firms that uh, may not be able to participate in, in offshore venues or uh, are a traditional financial players and they're entering uh, the digital asset space and they simply want price exposure, this gives right. them a lot more surgical control over their price exposure, over the exposure to and the ability to take on risk. Um, so, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of that. Uh, we're also seeing a lot of interest in you know moving offshore uh so for um we've seen a lot of movement into hong kong uh, a lot of u.s firms have moved to um the uk specifically into london we're seeing a lot of right. movement into dubai and abu dhabi i think you know the u.s it's unfortunate but we're having you know both an intellectual capital bleed as well as uh a a uh, you know some funds taking short off uh, activities offshore right Let's talk a little bit about who your clients are, uh, not in the sense of individual names, but what types of uh, organizations do they represent? What type of data are they looking for and how do they use it? Yeah, certainly. So we really, if you think about the whole value chain for financial services, you know, front office, mid office, back office, we really span the entire spectrum and people, you know, build data powered applications, whether that be front office, uh, trading, portfolio management, research, middle office, treasury, risk, and you know, back office, fund administration, tax, compliance, uh, and lately a lot of auditors and regulators as well. Um, so we really span that entire spectrum. Um, and and uh, what we've seen is um, in the last, you know, going into the year before FTX, we saw a lot of the TradFi firms leaning in trying to understand what is their crypto strategy, what is their digital asset strategy. Now, you know, fast forward past the implosion of FTX and, and all of the other fallout from the centralized lending platforms, et cetera, we're actually seeing institutions leaning back in. And those are, a lot of those are tracked by players like centralized exchanges. We're seeing, you know, CME, CBOE, NASDAQ, all uh, having developed um, significant crypto strategies, whether they've stepped, you know, some of them have stepped away from the custody business, but I think that there's right. there's clear right. interest in in moving into into uh, you know, digital assets. And what type of data and are what they consuming, data? and how are they using it? You know, so it really depends on which part of the value chain you're speaking to. For um, tradfi firms, for example, that are looking to enter this space, first they need to understand. What are the opportunities? What are the relationships? How do I quantify those? And if, and the beautiful thing about crypto and digital assets is it's radically transparent. So you have the ability to introspect and understand what are the mechanisms that drive these protocols? What are the incentives? And then quantify those incentives and that participation and build models and understand 
what's the relationship between on-chain data and global liquidity and market depth and price movements and in relationships. And the from the front office perspective, you know, people are really looking to research, identify those relationships, build those models, backtest those strategies. And then obviously once they put those in action, then you start to have the portfolio management teams come in and the risk teams comes in. And how do we account for this now that we're act operating in this space? Hey, walk us through what some of those data sets are uh, that these folks are interested in and how they implement and use them specifically uh, in order to help their strategies. Certainly. So say you are a, let's, let's pick a TradFi firm that maybe can't operate in the spot market um, or um, maybe not even in DeFi, but they, they're still interested in getting exposure to say, uh, you know, Bitcoin or, or ETH or, or DeFi. Um, you know, first thing they need to understand is, I don't, what is what is the maybe they're going to participate in the market via a future or or through one of you know all of the big banks now have um, non-deliverable forward futures contracts so you can trade through CME you can trade through Goldman you can trade through you know um, several of the other big banks um, so they may want to understand okay well based upon my the position size that I I want to operate in what is the global liquidity and market depth at any point in time for any period of the day and um, what could be the potential price impact that could cause a market to move and, and what are the constraints around that. Two, um, there, there's a lot of analysis that they go into and understand what is open interest, uh, front month, back month, bar month, futures, options, is there um, you know, what what are the the bets that people are placing in the markets, and then understanding the underlying what is the 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 forward yield curve of those underlying of those uh, you know if you're looking at Bitcoin futures options for example front month back month far month you know what does that yield curve look like is and then they look at okay if I'm going to participate in these assets what's the global context what's the local context and then how do I position my strategy to you know, harvest yield, ARB, um, you know, build a structured product uh, using, you know, maybe potentially options and futures to be able to package that and sell that to, to my customers, um, et cetera. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Yeah, that's really, really interesting stuff that you're talking about there. I mean, the, the first part uh, I heard you saying essentially uh, one of the challenges in the space has always been market depth, liquidity, uh, the degree to which trading at scale is going to have a price impact and therefore move against you. So being able to understand the depth and liquidity on the opposite side of those trades, where the market's at, absolutely critical. Something that you know you generally don't think of as a retail investor, uh, particularly not if you're uh, you know you're buying or selling a hundred shares of Facebook. Uh, you pretty much know the price is going to be the same. This is not the case, particularly with lower market capitalization digital assets, uh, where you might see this. The second point. Uh, when you're talking about the structure of the futures curve, really interesting. We know that, uh, for example, the basis trade in Bitcoin and Ethereum has been incredibly popular, uh, something way for uh, folks to generate yield uh, on the other side of the trade for people uh, to, uh, you know, to find ways of putting on essentially straddle positions and all types of other uh, strategies uh, to generate yield or to uh, lock in, uh, or I should say, hedge against downside loss. Talk a little bit about some of those strategies, particularly uh, for our retail investors, retail users of these products who may be hearing about this for the very first time? I mean, we really focused on institutional users more so than, than retail. Um, yeah. But at, at the end of the day, a market, you need, you need all, 
all participants, right? Well, I just, I just um, want, I just want folks to understand who are listening to this conversation what institutional users are doing, uh, because if you're a retail user, you may not know about these types of strategies that are being put on by institutional traders. And I just want to get that explanation out to them. Yeah, sure, certainly. So, uh, I mean, we don't have to talk about crypto in this particular instance yeah. because yeah. I think it's easier to explain it in something like crude oil, right? So, you know, the uh, August contract versus the September contract versus the October contract for a futures contract, meaning that you you know will receive a physical underlining at some point in the future, has cost of storage, has the uh, implied interest rate in in that, and and um, you know various other attributes of of the underlying futures contract, and those usually trade at a pre premium as you go back further in time because the cost of of capital. Um, Bitcoin or Ethereum or what have you also trade um, with a premium built in. Um, and some of that has to do with, if, you know, the volatility asset. Some of that has to do with um, the cost of lend and borrow, um, which right, right. In, in those assets and what institutional investors are looking at, can I take the spread between those and effectively calendarize that risk Buy one, sell another, they should settle together. Um, and you know, at one point when the contracts convert from one month to front month to back month, um, and then they are looking to harvest that yield, and that is the the strategy um, that, as you as you call it, institutions have been doing for you know, six or seven years in digital assets at least. And, and talk a little bit about the role that the data provides uh, for those institutions who are putting on these trades. How do they use your data? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, first. You have to be able to look at the data in real time and then understand historically how have those relationships held? Did the market go into backwardation or into contango? And you know, did the yield did the the for, the for folks who may not know, this is the this is the what the curve looks like going forward. The relationship of future price to spot price and price along the curve going forward. Right. Um, so understanding those those shifts between contango and backwardation historically and then what may be those underlying drivers for example funding rates on on crypto exchanges that trade a a um, effectually a perpetual futures contract that doesn't expire those um, are influenced by the supply and the demand of, of uh, what the exchanges are are uh, charging for their funding rates so right um, the Basically, you need to be able to quantify the relationships across the curve and then um, backtest whether that holds true through time the majority of the time and then position size appropriately when they put those trades on. Right. right. Let's talk a little bit about regulation. Obviously, this is something that is very much in the news. What's your take from where you guys sit? What are you seeing and how are you thinking about it? So the regulatory landscape, it's actually more clear and more cloudy than it's ever been. I know that sounds completely like just opposed. However, if you look in the rest of the world, MICA in the EU, um, UK has come out with clear regulations, VARA in uh, Dubai, um, Abu Dhabi's got clear regulations right now, Hong Kong is open for business. It, outside of the United States, it's very crystal clear. I would say, I would say crystal clear. It's, it's directionally a heck of a lot clearer than it's ever been. And I think that those uh, governments are, are seizing the opportunity in, in, in making 
inviting people to come in and embrace the clarity and regulation and do business there. The United States with with the SEC, I, I you know, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I hope that um, you know that that there's regulatory clarity sometime soon in in the SEC. You know, uh, specifically Glenn Gensler is uh, and a you know. Um, maybe is less politically uh, motivated and has more clarity. Um, you know, I think that it's really not good for the United States uh, as a country and as a financial market to have, uh, either, you know, have, have this be so politicized, if you will, uh, where there's such clarity in the rest of the world. It's just pushing business, trading, and innovation offshore. To what extent do you see that happening and how is it reflected in your data? Meaning, can you see this shift actually happening in the data for U.S. players moving offshore? Um, so we see a lot from, you know, we have multiple customers that are market makers and some right. have picked up, picked up operations and, and literally moved offshore and, um, and they're, uh, you know, moving, you know, some into into the Bahamas and in in that region, some into the UK. But we see a clear trend um, uh, where some some of those players that have been liquidity providers in spot markets and in derivatives and offshore exchanges have just said, "Hey, until this is sorted out, I'm moving." Uh, I just opposed to that. We're seeing, you know, some of the big exchanges in traditional securities leaning in. And you know you have CBOE Digital now is is has leaned in pretty aggressively over there. You have Kathy Clay; she's leading that. Uh, I think they're they're aggressive. They're making they're they're um, they're doing the right thing. I think Nasdaq has uh, things in play. Um, you, you have many of the TradFi players are going, hey, we know how to work in a regulated environment and and you know play by the rules that we know and and um, they're they're being more measured, but. Um, I don't think it's entirely a bad thing. Uh, let's talk a little bit about traditional players, uh, their role in the space and what you're seeing from the perspective of the data uh, in terms of their interest in the traditional finance space and the exchange space, NASDAQ, CBOE, and others in terms of their interest in digital assets. Yeah, so I, I think if you look, there's been four or five ETFs that have been put back up uh, in, you know, with BlackRock leading the charge on that. Um, and that I think that are all being considered by by the SEC. And part of of what the the there's concern about and interest in that we have that we provide data to some of the people that are that are putting forward these these ETF proposals as um, is understanding what what is the behavior and and is there orderly price discovery. Um, within the order books and and um, in in the, uh, dis the price discovery process, so the um, there's there's also uh, quite a bit of interest in um, assessing um, you know, just the just the amount you know kind of where where is the trading volume happening globally? Then how do you how do you actually define what is the price of Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is trading on you know several hundred exchanges around the world around the clock but the price is actually local to each of those venues so for example um maybe there's a a large liquidation of futures contracts on on Deribit. well if it's 
two o'clock in the morning and the the liquidity in the order book on one of the US exchanges isn't super deep, you can have a large price impact due to a a uh, a liquidation event that happened on a, a futures trading venue, maybe offshore. And be based upon the liquidity on each of those respective exchanges, you can have price impact. So what is the price of Bitcoin at any particular time? You need to be able to understand and, and develop a reference rate so you can actually, you know, strike end of day NAB calculations, um, you know, pay your taxes, uh, do accounting, settle derivatives, et cetera. So there, there's also a lot of interest in understanding, you know, what is the, the reference price in, in the primary markets. Hey everyone, we're gonna take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Hey, let me ask you this, how far away are we in terms of uh, the feature set uh, and also in terms of time to get to parity, are we right now between digital markets and traditional capital markets? Obviously, uh, when folks from NASDAQ and CBOE uh, and others are coming online, they have a reference, which is the way that you, uh, equities trade, the way that uh, derivatives trade and other products. Uh, how far away are we uh, from making that transition look similar? So ironically, digital assets is more transparent in many regards. Uh, especially for on-chain, uh, when you start to look at, say, uh, you know, decentralized exchanges, we can tell you, you know, what is the the liquid, the total liquidity available in any pool in Uniswap V2 or V3? Who are the top liquidity providers? What is their impermanent loss? How did they earn their fees? Um, what was what's the impact of of a trade that's in the pending pool that has yet to be confirmed on-chain? You can't do that. In, in trap by period, full stop. Um, you have to figure out, you know, in the rear view mirror what happened. Right. Um, but the flip side is that the liquidity is much lower. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the liquidity in a particular pool, in a particular asset, in a decentralized exchange or a decentralized lending protocol at any point in time can be, you know, insignificant. However, in, in some, the the actual trading activity indexes now has surpassed some of the largest centralized exchanges, um, which is, is an interesting model and definitely has the attention of a lot of the TradFi players as well. Right. Where, where are you seeing that? In other words, uh, what, ex what exchanges, uh, what uh, digital assets, what does the profile look like where you're seeing uh, the, the, the DEXs surpass liquidity on the centralized exchanges? Yeah, so if you look at the Uniswap V2 and V3 combined trading volume, it exceeds some of the largest exchanges. And for those assets in those pools, it's it's the same assets that you would trade on a Coinbase or a Kraken or a, on a Binance or what have you. Um, a lot of that liquidity is in stable coins. Um, pretty much all of DeFi is denominated in sta stable coins almost categorically. Um, so stable coins being billions of dollars in market capitalization um, in many of the decentralized exchanges or the lending protocols use the use stable coins as the base pairs for the assets that they're going to trade because how they work is you know unlike a you go to a coinbase where you have a central limit order book you have bids and you have asks at various price levels um, up the ladder with a decentralized exchange or a lending protocol you'll have a pool and then people put pairs of these assets in these pools and it's an algorithm that actually matches buyers and sellers and 
depending on the size, you can have price impact, et cetera. So the, um, but it, it's definitely, you know, the, the, the big protocols out there is still Uniswap B2, Uniswap B3, Curve, Balancer, et cetera. And then from a, a lending protocol, it's really Aave, Maker, Compound, uh, you know, a few of the others out there. I talked about the Curve exploit at the top of the show. What are you seeing there? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate um, that there's there's been, you know, additional exploits in, in DeFi. It's, um, we, we, we can see all the activity, we can see the flows, we can, we can, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people lose trust in, in yeah. these decentralized systems when there's theft, theft and fraud are bad in any financial services. Um, the, the, I think the, the, uh, good thing about DeFi is there is a permanent record that will never go away. And hopefully the people who are, um, exploiting or stealing or, or doing fraud, whether it be in this exploit or any other exploit, um, eventually, um, you know, get, get taken in. Yeah. Sean, a really interesting conversation, great experience here uh, in terms of what you guys are doing. It gives us an interesting window into all the things that are happening in the digital asset space. Final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our listeners and our viewers with. I think if you're operating in, you know, have, have, have you have operated in TradFi, take a look at in, in, in what's happening on-chain in, in DeFi and in you'll find much of what you know already familiar. It may have fan, you know, funny names or, or what have you, but I, I really think that um, DeFi and um, digital assets are, are going to really change the world. And you know, the, the total addressable market is every person and every business on the planet. And um, it, it's really an unstoppable trend that the rest of the world is adopting right now. And I think there's a, there's just an exponential curve that Raul and you also, Ash, talk about regularly. This, they're not putting the genie back in the bottle on this. Uh, this will transform, you know, it's the financialization of the internet. It will transform financial services. It will impact every person over time and re re reduce our dependencies on centralized in institutions. Um, so, you know, get smart, look at the data, be data driven. And the data is out there. People like Amber Data and others. Um, this is our day job to help people understand, um, identify opportunities, to quantify the risk, act, and then, you know, I would also look at what's happening in derivatives. I think derivatives are are just an area for that are ripe for explosion in this place. They they really give a lot more granular surgical control over on over your exposure and risk, and, get, and allow you to be a lot more creative in how you capture opportunities. Sean, I happen to agree with you. I think the future is going to be more decentralized than it is today. Uh, thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. Thanks for providing the insights that you guys see from your data. Much appreciated. Thank you, Ash. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, that's it for today. Make sure to check out our website, realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. It's free to sign up for our content. Tomorrow, Elaine Lee will be joined by Bellacourt Brooker, uh, founder of Covey. IO. See you live at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London time. Thanks for watching, everybody.
What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 